Hi guys, this is Mel from the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in Canberra, we are going to be running a special screening of Star Wars The Force Awakens on Friday, December 18 here in Canberra at Palace Electric Cinemas. It's going to be around 9pm. We'll put details on our website soon, but we would really like it if you could all come along and hang out with us. We're going to record a live episode afterwards. Remember, it's Friday, 18th of December. That's only one day after opening day in Australia. So if you haven't got your tickets already, this is a fantastic way to see the movie just after it comes out. Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie, and I am happy because I have a big glass of wine. And we're your hosts. I also have a big glass of wine. This week, we watched Bridge of Spies, directed by Steven Spielberg and released in 2015. The plot, convoluted as it is, goes like this. During the Cold War, an American lawyer is recruited to defend an alleged Soviet spy in court and then help the CIA facilitate a prisoner exchange with an American captured by the Russians. Right. For an American captured by the Russians, I suppose. Uh, well, exchange, yeah. Because he doesn't... Well, the, the Soviets, it sounds kind of like he negotiates... It's, it's a sentence. The Soviet spies being exchanged with an American who's yeah. captured by it kind of sounds like he's exchanging he's he's negotiating with the anyway Russians. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks was on Jimmy Fallon to advertise this movie, and he did Kid Theater, which is where um, Jimmy Fallon gets kids to write a scene from a movie based solely on the title of the movie. Oh my so gosh! So they did Bridge of Spies. <laughs> Well, you know, at least it gives the kids something to work with. Yeah. Well, they did it for Magic Mike as well. Which oh, I mean, my gosh. <laughs> you have to see it. It's really funny. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he, they did that with um, Bridge of Spies, and, and it's wonderful, and Tom Hanks is absolutely devoted to it, and it, you should definitely check that out because it's hilarious. I have to Probably better than the movie in some ways. Sadly, yes. Um, oh, the movie was very worthy. Definitely shorter. And very interesting. I think it was maybe... 10 hours long maybe longer <laughs> at least it's i look when i went in i was a young woman and <laughs> now i am old but we, we did we it's we went in at 12 30 and we didn't get out till after three and i was like it doesn't need that long to tell this story it really yeah, doesn't it, as, a, as a person who loves history i was totally into the history of this movie and if this had been uh, one of those epic hardcore history podcasts that i love to listen to that was two and a half hours long and told this story i would have loved it absolutely adored it because it was a movie just like you were just, expecting things to happen i was just expect yeah i was expecting to be a bit more exciting i was expecting to be brought along a bit better like it was all very technically lovely and obvi- like obviously spielberg and janusz kaminski i think yeah. is the, the cinematographer work beautifully together it looks lovely tom hanks is a consummate pro mark rylance is one of the greatest oh. actors we have around he he played the uh the um russian spy and he is so good in this movie that i spent a lot of time going why can't he be in every scene he's easily the most entertaining and character. his scenes were definitely the best bits of the movie mm. and we spend a whole chunk of time with mostly just hanks in east but and a lot of other white guys in east berlin and oh my god can we just there's so many white men in this movie. It is lit, it is like white men the movie, and it's, and it's women view in of women roles is so, of servitude picking up hats. It's so oh. so old fashioned and icky and annoying. Yeah, I don't think women in the 1950s were treated as badly as they're treated in this movie. Like it's every 1960. Yeah, like, yeah, it's right at the end it's, of the 50s. It's Mad Men era, but like the only women we ever see secretaries, nagging wives hotel workers like women who are I hated that nagging wife role and and we see almost every single woman 
hold a man's grab pick up a man's hat for him, like take his coat or whatever. It's mm. just awful. Like, it is. They, they were truly bad. Like and that's before we get onto the bit where we have a whole scene set in Pakistan with no Pakistanis. <laughs> and um, I, I I remember seeing one non-white face yeah, yeah. in this entire movie. A little black girl in in the in the, the daughter's school class. Saying Which I think terrible she was a, pledge of a half half black girl. I, 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 yeah, she, she was not the a way white she face. Was, yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. Yeah, saying the Pledge of Allegiance, which is really weird, you guys. You know that is weird, right, Americans? You know. <laughs> yeah. No, but that and, – and that bit was really – I don't know. It felt – this movie felt like, to me, Steven Spielberg was kind of torn between his usual patriotism and he couldn't be too patriotic because the movie kind of sides with Abel a lot, who is a, a Russian spy Tom, and Tom Hanks' stuff. character, to me, had a lot of the Captain America about him, though, yeah. that sort of – do the right thing and uphold the values ahead of love America at all costs stuff, which I it's is always interesting. I'm all for it. It just yeah, it was just long. <laughs> I did. I actually thought of Captain America a few times mm, in this right? movie. Right, Standing Man. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it it is. Uh, it's like which Captain America actually was quite long as well. But I didn't feel bored in that no. movie. Uh, the second one, Cap Two, which is as you know it's my favorite Marvel movie. But yeah, it just I, and it's so many white men that I got to a point where I was like, have we seen this guy before? Am I supposed to remember this particular guy? There were a couple, there was, there were a couple of them that had like faces that I remembered, like the very um, square-faced redhead yeah. guy that was the friend of sl- the... Yeah. You know I why like, we remembered him? He was slightly fat. Like he was actually had something interesting about him. So we Why couldn't him. he have been the kidnapped soldier? Well, I would remember that because, guy's face. And, in, and the other problem was the kidnapped soldier and the kidnapped... And the, sorry, the pr- soldier who was in prison and the student who was in prison... There were times I couldn't tell which was which. Like, there was I a could, whole scene. When, the, when they first shot the student, I was like, oh, this is the floppy-haired guy. He yeah. is the innocent. And I could tell because of his haircut that yeah, he was going that to was, be the innocent guy. Once he was guy. in prison, like there was a scene where they go into a room and they wake a kid up at night. And he's tall, he's dark-haired, he's white. I was like, oh, right, we're within East Germany. Oh, wait, no. And it was only when they start, they started actually speaking Russian that I realised we weren't in East Germany. Oh, okay. I didn't ever have that problem well, they, with they them. Asked, but no, I think they started asking him questions about the U2. Yeah. Um, I think it's because I, I made a note, mental note when that person – because I didn't even know he anyway, was American. When you have too I many, didn't even know why we were following this guy with the bike. I was just like, oh, he is like the symbol of innocence in this because he has a floppy haircut. Well, I figured he was American as soon as I heard him speak German. Well, oh, yeah. Attempt to speak German. But but we, we see it, took him, him, it took a while because you, you see him walk around and you're like – Riding around Yay. on the bike. And it, it's to set up the wall. And it's quite a good shot, actually. I was more interested in that a lot of the time mm. than the Tom Hanks storyline because it's this neat kind of show-not-tell stuff that, that wall Steven Spielberg does very well. well. Yes. Um, there's also a, there's some very beautiful shots in this movie. There's one where Tom Hanks is being followed by um, Creeper CIA Broken Nose Man. When he was being followed by him at nighttime, there are these gorgeous, like, driving rain shots mm. that I was like, oh, it's so pretty. I just want to go, like... Yeah, yeah, it was almost entirely black and white, and it was just beautifully mm. silhouetted against the rain. It was like something out of an old movie. And the shot, the, the, the bridge exchange at the end of the movie is shot quite well, which is good mm. because it ends up being very boring. Mm. I was surprised by how little tension was being built then. Like, there was no point at which I went, oh, this isn't going to work. I was well, just like, oh, it's going to work. There was actually quite little tension, like, even for things like him getting across the border crossing, where he just... He's been told to be inconspicuous and American style. He wanders up to the front of the line. He's like, look, I'm an American. I'm allowed to go through. I've got a 12 o'clock appointment. And like 
even then, like, there's no real – I never really worry that he's not going to get across the border. I never feel – like, when he's in the Russian embassy, there's no sense of suspense or concern that he's in the middle of the Russian embassy in East Berlin. Like, shouldn't that be a moment of tension or shouldn't we be a bit scared for him at that point? Literally the most tense thing in the whole movie is just when he gets held up by a gang of young East German. Yeah. And then they're not even scary in the end. I was like, what's going on? No, they just kind of like, they just sort of negotiate with him. Yeah. In another unsubtitled scene, they say, your uh, wallet or your coat. And yeah, the, sub- the lack of subtitles in this movie is infuriating. And because, yeah, I couldn't remember what Briefkasse was. And I was like, is it is that briefcase or is it what? No, and then I worked out it was wallet and they let him have his wallet. I shouldn't have to do that kind of work in a movie. You should be giving me subtitles for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no subtitles in this movie. And it's very frustrating because there's moments when there's no, like, I, I, uh, thought maybe it was because they were trying to put us in Tom Hanks' yeah. character's shoes, but there's moments when he's not in the scene and we don't get subtitles. Mm. What's the point of that scene if it's not to tell us yeah. what's going um, on? And what's the point in telling us what's going on if you're not going to subtitle and there's a scene it? scene that's probably a minute long where the girl goes to the prison where she thinks the boy, the, the boyfriend of the American student goes to the prison where she thinks he's being held. She asks if he's there. She like begs to see him. She says, you know, she talks, has a conversation with the guard that goes on for like several sentences mm. and no subtitles at all mm. there's no subtitles in the whole thing there's not a single subtitle in the whole movie and just a bit, people bit are not rude, speaking frankly. english for large chunks of this movie it's very strange it's it's strange for Spielberg. like he should he knows that americans don't speak a lot of german really also there are so many characters in this movie like i've just been trying to catalog some of them in my mind and we spend and a good hour of this movie setting up this judge who's kind of a dick, and then we don't see him well, again for the whole second half of the movie. We spent a whole hour on on the trial and and sentencing of the spy, which is great because he's a great spy, and that's a great little story. But it's like there's two stories, and they're mm. both good. And it is. It's two movies that are kind of jammed yeah, together and, somewhere and the, in the, the middle. And the thing is, like, we could have done, I think, a lot more interesting stuff with the trial. Like, there could have been a bit more discussion of the evidence, a doubt about his guilt or innocence, like all that sort of thing. There's no, we'd ever, like you can make a really good trial movie, you make a really good prisoner negotiation movie, but this is both. Mm, and it's not good at either. Um. No, well, it's just, it just goes on too much because we have this whole hour getting used to this guy and Mark Rylance is just so good that we're so attached so to him. so good. And we're really interested and there's little clues about him that we think that could actually go somewhere. Like, what is his role? What exactly went on? What evidence have they got against why him? Don't why don't we ever, ever see, see him? his wife? Yeah, the wife. Why does he never, re- like, w- will they reconcile? Will they- why doesn't that come back in some kind of questioning about working out his identity? Why wasn't there a question about his wife and her harp playing in the Moscow Children's Orchestra? Like, that never came back again. Yeah, other things come back, but we never, well, because she's a woman and she's not important to this story. The the women are really so badly treated in this. Oh, I think the, the women with the most agency in this whole movie are the uh, women they bring in to, to represent, like to oh, play the his wife. To and, be his wife and daughter. And they're so bad. <laughs> like it's they're amazing. terrible actors. It's a wonderful scene. It's very funny and strange and yeah, I really liked that. The, actually, that, I think, those are the Coen brothers' touches, actually. I was thinking mm, about it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Because it's written by... It's co-written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, and for a while, like when it first came up, we were like, "What?" But I actually think there's quite a few little Cohen brothers touches in this movie, and they actually kind of jar with Steven Spielberg's style. So, like the you know the scene with the son as well, where the son is talking about oh about what he'd learned in school about in the nuclear war and what yeah, the preparations they have to there's make. There's that scene. There's the bit with the the two American breakfasts. 
two American breakfasts. There's the um, the but the the one with the the pretend wife and daughter and mm. how they're so over the top, and he just kind of shifts away from them and goes, "This is so unreal." Um, all those little bits and pieces, I think, are quite Cohen-y. Mm. I think those are the bits where you're like, "Oh yes," and I think that style actually jars with Steven Spielberg's, but also provides the movie's few moments of levity and mm. and interest and kind of whenever that happens, you you get more caught up in it because you're like. Oh, something weird is happening. I want to see how this plays out. But then, see, for me, one of the strangest moments in the movie is that scene, complete, uh, like juxtaposed with the scene immediately after it. Mm. So we've got the weird fake family mm. where they're talking about the, and then the beloved cousin, whatever his name was, comes <laughs> in. And you're like, what are you doing? But then the scene immediately after it is one where Tom Hanks finally meets the enigmatic Vogel. Who it seems he's a famous German actor, German actor yeah, Sebastian but, Koch. But I didn't recognize. Yeah, I didn't recognize him either. But he's he's introduced in such a way as that you know that he's meant to be famous because this is the Spielberg movie. Yeah, and we don't get to see his face for a little while, and there's yeah. a it's a single long take. And yeah, although he did another Spielberg um, tell is the way he introduced Mark Rylance, looking in a mirror and painting himself. Mm. That was also very cute. And we saw bridges in the first like five <laughs> minutes of this movie. We saw like ten bridges. Yeah. I mean, I get that we're in Brooklyn, but yeah, we walk out under the Brooklyn Bridge and you see all the different New York bridges and then there's a painting of a bridge. Bridges, yeah. I think the style of the uh the funny, weird family scene and the Vogel scene are really, really jarring and different. Mm. And you could either I think the movie could have played on that a little bit more to make it kind of more if we if it was trying to unsettle us they could have even played on that more and made it more unsettling and and that could have worked quite well because we should be unsettled by all this spy business that's going on well, and he's clearly tom hanks is clearly kind of unsettled by it. like he's, so, he's he lost his equilibrium right yeah yeah but between those two scenes is a scene with tom hanks and somebody who he thinks is a second secretary of the russian embassy see i was counting that as part yeah, of the other scene but i see i think that second secretary slash head of the kgb in eastern europe was the lost opportunity Gollum. for him to be menacing? Like that that guy, like it, he should have been more scared in that embassy. Yeah, and he should Gollum have been character. more off his guard in East Berlin. And even after he gets mugged for his coat, he's kind of like, eh, whatever, I belong yeah. here. And I just don't think that's right. Well, I felt like he was. I I I got what they were trying to do there. He was trying to project an air of I belong here. Like he's he's trying to. But we need to see behind that mask yeah. for it to work well. Because I we get don't. what they were trying to do because I think it was a mask. I think it was him projecting confidence. Like, mm. I have to project confidence because everything around me is so weird and crazy and I have to keep up this But we level don't of, see that. We don't and see I think him that, being conflicted. We don't see anything. I think that what they were trying to do was to set that up right at the start when you know that he does the um one-for-one – conversation about the insurance claim right where like and and those are the be- some of the best scenes where he's just talking to somebody and he's negotiating yeah are done very well tom hanks sells those very well um and i think what we, we actually see that mask go up then but i think we needed to be able to see like there needed to be some sort of link between that and when we're seeing the mask again later and i could see what they were trying to do with it but i don't think it came across very well no because there needed to be more trepidation of arriving in berlin and more relief when he'd done that first been in, in, into the east the first time and come back again mm. they just it just yeah but I the west felt- was not ever really safe for no, him no it was horrible it was they put him up in this horrible hotel in, and they were all strange. staying at the hilton as though 
I don't know. Like, Well, it seems to me like the CIA was trying to play him, but we don't get enough indication that the CIA was trying to play him. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, is this kind of tightrope walking that Spielberg's trying to do with this movie where he's like, I can't criticize America too much. I still have to be patriotic. But at the same time, I'm trying to show that there's some bad things. And, and I don't think it ever quite worked. Mm. Um, and I think also it, they, but they, they didn't, then they didn't push enough America not doing the right thing. Cause you could see there was this very, very stark contrast in the way that they treated their prisoners and stuff like that. Mm. And I don't think that contrast really exists. I think that's a fake contrast. Yeah. The implication is that. Uh, Mark Rylance's character got a slightly better treatment because Tom Hanks's character significantly better was, treatment um, was on the case after he was convicted. But yeah, they don't really talk through any of that. No, there's so many. There's so many cuts away to a prison scene or a something scene or a like. There's so many things to juggle in this movie, and they would cut back to something, and I would already be bored. The family stuff drove me up the wall. Yeah. I couldn't stand anybody in Tom Hanks's family. And the aforementioned treatment of women was even worse there. Cause there's a shot that I swear I was really angry at. Oh, um, when the wife and daughter's on the couch? Yes. That one annoyed me too because you leaned over and whispered to me, there are, the boy's not in this. The boy is fine. The girls are, are terrified. Mum is terrified. Yeah. After the house has been shot at. It's just, ugh. Oh, so gross. I hated that. The moment. daughter, the oldest daughter didn't look like she belonged either. Like It, it was like they wanted to slot I don't know, the actress in or something. There was a weird romance subplot that never right. went anywhere. Her, and there was a we weird never subplot. never met the associate again. Yeah. He came to dinner and he apparently stood up the daughter and then we never met her again. And his two other kids are way younger than the older daughter who appears to have been flown in from some other show. And I see that her name is Eve Houston, which means she's Bono's daughter, which means that she's probably someone's friend who was shoehorned into the role. Yeah. I What that felt like to me more than that was – the real person that he was based on had a daughter from a previous marriage. Yeah, And yeah, then yeah. she was kind of shoehorned into the movie. That's probably That's right. what that felt like to me. I, I know that's such a weirdly specific thing, but that's what I was mm. like thinking about that role because she clearly didn't belong. And obviously there was some subplot about her and he's like the junior lawyer that works to him at the firm or whatever. But but the junior lawyer, they should have spent more time seat. establishing that relationship never came between back again. Because the junior lawyer is quite cute and, and, yeah. and funny too. Well, and also like that, this comes back to the whole there were two movies here and the trial in its in and of itself was probably fascinating and all of the ins and outs of those two working together and him on, with their limited resources and their limited ability to get anywhere with the judge and all that sort of stuff, that would have been interesting. But I think it probably that had judge, to be sacrificed because the movie had to cover the whole thing that went all the way to the prisoner exchange. That judge was also – I could see what they were trying to do with him, but it never quite felt real he to me. He was so unprofessional. Like, no real judge would have that much disregard for the rule of law, even in a treason case with a Russian in the 1950s. Like, it even – yeah, there's no way he would have been so biased. It just didn't ever sit – as as real to me like it never kind of mm. and the thing is i know this is silly and unrelated but uh we saw two trailers for other movies before this movie and both of those movies looked so much better <laughs> than this movie did when i saw the trailer for it and i think there's something like just being able to tell the story that you're trying to tell in the trailer, like set up the story that you're trying to tell in the trailer, not tell the whole thing. But Bridge of Spies, like the trailer kind of did give everything away and yet it also didn't tell you anything about what the story was going to be. And I think that tells you something about what this movie is. The trailer is that- was like all East Berlin. 
and very yeah. little of the trial bit. Like, I didn't even know Mark Rylance was in the movie until he's in the opening scene. I did. I remember him. Well, I don't I don't recognize him from anything else. Oh, I've watched Wolf Hall recently, and he was. that's like the first thing I'd ever seen him in. Um, but he's been around forever, and he's a really well-known actor. He, he runs the Globe Theatre in his spare time. Oh, there you go. Um, no, I, I'm sure I've seen him in something else. What I'm saying is I didn't recognize him from anything mm. else, not that I haven't seen him in anything. I haven't looked no, it up. but he's really good at, like, he will disappear in, into into a role really well. And he was this was quite well done as well because he's, he's a Russian, but he's clearly been born in Scotland and, like… Northern <laughs> England, I think it is. Yeah, but his it's, accent was was Scottish. Yeah, I think it's, he was it's, using. Yeah, he his. I mean, I, I think the the accent that they pit that they it was used it was, was relatively really well. To him. Yeah, because it's this really gentle accent, and he never raises his voice, and he's mm. always incredibly calm, and he's funny, and he's dry, and mm. he's like, you know, they they. I think that accent was like a very planned part of mm. this role yeah it's so kind of it puts you on the wrong foot and mm. that's where the coen brothers thing comes in is the stuff that's putting you on the wrong foot and making you feel like this is something that's a little bit unusual something that's a little bit a little bit weird i almost feel like the coen brothers stuff in this movie works better than the spielberg stuff. well they i think they're responsible for that would it help callback as well um yeah no the would it help thing works wonderfully and 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 you actually kind of get a good sense of the friendship that's building up between Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance. Oh, big character. time, yeah. Um, that's the only, like, solid relationship I think we have in the movie. Well, the wife is such a nothing character. Oh, yeah. it's a, She's awful. And even the relationship with the If they'd given kids, her strong opinions on something or a personality, but her whole personality is nagging wife. And I'm like, why are you doing this nagging wife cliche now? Clearly, I mean, if you're not going to take her side in anything in this movie, then at least make her interesting as, like, the opposition to whatever he's doing. Well, Don't make just make it her seem boring. Like he's, he's genuinely thinking about her points of view and, and treating yeah. her as an equal because… He I, never does. Why, he always, yeah. Everybody How is beneath Tom Hanks in this movie and that's quite frustrating. Yeah, but especially for a person who's always saying everyone matters, everyone's life matters. And well, clearly a, every man's life matters. If we're talking about, um, because we were talking about Captain America, I think that's a really important distinction between yeah, yeah. the two of them, where where Captain America really thinks that like other people who are around him are his equal when he is vastly superior to him to them in many ways. Like he is a mm. wonderful person, but he sees everyone as being his equal, right? Mm. Whereas Tom Hanks in this movie, it's not so much that he doesn't see people as his equal as the movie doesn't. No, the only people who are seen as his equal are like the spy, the judge, the other men are seen as his equals. Oh, Mark Rylance. But the judge even isn't. The judge is below him. He is superior morally to the judge at all times. Um, I think, and and, and that that poor CIA agent, Mm. (laughs) broken nose man, Mm. is so badly treated by this script that he is a weird comical character. Yeah, essentially. Um, it's it that whole thing is very strange. He's in charge of he's like I'm in charge here. He's in charge of nothing. No. He can't do any, make anybody do what he wants them to do. And he's in the CIA? Like he's totally powerless this man. And he's not intimidating and he's not scary. There's nothing about him that you're like, "Oh yeah, this guy could be in charge of anything ever." He spends most of the time with his broken nose all red from being snotty. <laughs> it's it just doesn't work, right? Yeah. So many things. I I there's so many little bits that like could be put together into a good movie. There's the bit with the kid, uh, the Russian kid, the East German kid who yeah, works at that. Yeah. That's so good. Oh, that yes. 
who works for the Attorney General. Actually, Fantastic he almost scene. feels like he's an equal to Tom Hanks's character. I, well, and I think that's the point. Tom Hanks picks him out as someone like him, which is that that whole male apprenticeship thing that causes so many problems in the world. Uh, yeah, the, but I mean, the, in this context, it's quite nice, and they are that facilitates things. The uh, level of ignorant sexism, racism, racism in this movie is so high. Mm-hmm. Like incidental. It, like at one point, I was like, if I have to see another woman pick up another man's hat, I'm going to scream. And it happened. It happened again. I was so over seeing the women do nothing but bring coffee and pick up hats and coats, and and then she just stares oh. at him adoringly for doing this thing, and you're like, this is what you're going with. Yeah. This is what you're going with. This is so gross. Mm. It's so gross. She's like, "Oh, I was wrong to being to henpeck him this uh. whole time." It's so icky. I when didn't. like and she like she has some reasonable points. Their house gets shot at. I know. They he, they're essentially ostracized because he's associated with somebody who is, you know, the lowest of the low, and a terrorist. And never taken seriously and either. No. And then and the movie acts like she's just an antagonist to him. So when it gets in his way until he can get what he wants. But also I got to the point where I was like, if they introduce one more white guy whose face I'm supposed to re- remember, because I couldn't remember oh, any no, of these you people. Just, you just forget them all. You just get face blindness with white guys. At least I do. Well, it's not just that. It's the, There's so many of these men in this mm. movie. And they're all like you know, middle-aged, and not all of them are Alan Alda, and I can recognise Alan Alda, you know, But not most of them are point. not famous enough that, that they, they're distinctive. By the way, Alan Alda totally looks like an old turtle now. <laughs> an <laughs> he, adorable I mean, old again, turtle. Again, like, Alan Alda shows up for, like, a scene, and, like, he, he, he gives Tom Hanks the job, and then... Um, the only the last time we see him, he's his shutting him out. Is closing the door on on Tom Hanks, yeah, but which again, is for a job that he made Tom Hanks do, which is like a shitty move. Yeah, everybody in this movie is a bad guy except Tom Hanks. Yeah, and, and Mark Rylance, I guess. And which again, is there's whole storylines that are just kind of like that that are important and then dropped. Like he's that whole scene where he's at the office and he has no brief anymore because other lawyers have taken over his work while he's been off doing the other case. It seems like they're going to start on something about him being shut out of his job, and then they do, and then it never matters again. Like there's no no discussion of how he's making his money, if he's left the firm, you know. This whole movie is like that. This whole movie is let's just pick up a plot point and then drop it in favor of another yeah. one that we're then going to drop in favor of another one. In, in the, the whole thing, mm. like there's so many. It's a it's a movie that's based on bits and pieces of scenes that could be good but aren't Mm. and it's also a movie that's based on like research i feel like when i was watching this i felt every minute of research that had gone into it yeah and the research was good it was interesting i think this is an incredibly interesting piece of history right yes but but the thing to me about it was not an interesting movie yeah the thing to me about historical research for movie movies is that it should serve a purpose within telling the story the story shouldn't be bent around telling the history does mm. that make sense yeah well there were so many things that were unnecessary like the uh, just there were things that were shoehorned in just so that they could tell a bit of research that they'd done there were gangs active in east berlin oh let's have him get mugged but that scene worked well yeah it was a great scene and it was also very clever because it was obviously it had been set up by the russians Worked well, but it just was, I don't know, it, it did Actually, feel... no, I think that scene was particularly good because it, it does serve to do that thing which I was talking about. I think that whole sequence was the best because it, it, you feel that he is off his game 
Yeah. And that he is like, he's lost his footing a little bit and he's trying to find it and everybody's just throwing him off and throwing him off and he's kind of scrambling to get some footing here, Mm -hmm. right? He's lost his jacket. He's getting this cold. He's thrown these weird people. The golem guy comes up and talks to him and then he has to meet Vogel and Vogel is not at all what you would expect. Mm -hmm. He is a very different kind of guy from what you were expecting from the setup, right? Yeah. Even if... I didn't recognize the actor. Um, I was like, this guy is, is A, much more capable than we've been led to believe, and B, um, much more interesting, although he is just a dick most of the time. Yes. And then we didn't see him again. No, no. After the bit where he deliberately gets his car pulled over so that Tom Hanks gets arrested. Which I thought was actually really clever. Clever and interesting. And I thought maybe those two could have this exchange of like, uh, see, he did feel like he was on. He was Tom Hanks' equal, and yeah. having those two go at it a bit. But then they go back to the Gollum guy, and for some reason, Tom Hanks likes the Gollum guy. Yeah, and but the I guy, mean, by the way, just kind of looks like Gollum and reminds me of Gollum, which is why I'm calling him that. He's yeah. a Russian spy, um, and I can't remember his name either. But again, this is another si- situation where the, in East Berlin, where the stakes should be quite scary. He just kind of get. There's never any like he doesn't have to fight to get out of jail. They just let him out the next morning, like. They're just doing it to scare him a bit, I guess. But it never feels scary because we just go so quickly from him being arrested to him being let out again. I also think that they didn't let – they didn't put Tom Hanks out of his comfort zone at any point. Nope. So it felt very comfortable the whole this time. This is why I keep referring to him as Tom Hanks because I can't remember what his character is. Some Joe Jim Donovan. Donovan. Jim Donovan. <laughs> I think he was doing his best and I think the best moments that he had were those – where he lawyered up. And he yeah, went, yeah, when he was negotiating. Yeah, when he was negotiating. And those did feel like a character. But a lot of the time, it, it wasn't so much his fault as the movie's not trying to get him to do anything. Yeah, and I mean, like, putting him properly out of his comfort zone. Like, the the German gang just steals his coat. Like, if they stole his coat and his wallet and his passport, that would have been way better because then that would have really raised the stakes. But then you couldn't have actually done the rest of the movie. No, right. But, I mean, they, they probably would have figured out a way to do it. But, like, this getting... You know, up, it would have upped the stakes a bit. I know they were trying to tell the true story, obviously. The well, they are, true clearly weren't because that that there's a lot of things. I've I, I've only heard very little about this movie, and I already know that it's not historically accurate. I have, um, in I terms have of that no character way, specifically, no idea at like, all. I do know it, it did say at the start inspired by true events. Well, Jim Donovan was a lot more morally grey than we were led to believe. Oh, okay. Um, which is always the case when you have well, a hero for a movie. Because they're human. Like he's a human guy. You know? Yeah, um, and he'd worked. It, it, there was another interesting bit of plot that was just mentioned and never mentioned again. He'd worked on the prosecution at Nuremberg. Nuremberg yeah, that was weird. Which is fascinating. Um, and then there was this bit. Uh, they did the the you know the text telling you. I knew they were setting up for the text telling you what happened to everybody at the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. About twenty minutes before the end of the movie, I was like, oh no, they're going to do the text thing and not show us what happened to people. They're just going to tell us during. The, the fact that they had even another scene of him riding on the train and seeing children jumping the fence and not being oh shot after the sort of end of the movie, which is the prisoner exchange is the end, and Mark Rylance being shown the back door instead of being embraced, that's the end of the movie, essentially. So, but I then mean, what else are they going to do? anyway, according to the text yeah. at the end of the movie. So that scene is superfluous. Exactly. I would have been much better if they just ended on that. And then we just, you had to go and no, look it up. No, I, I think it would have been better if they had ended on the news story that the kids and the mum are watching mm. that says Jim Donovan helped. That that 
that's the point where I would have stopped it. Not her going upstairs and not taking her, the hat. And, but, but maybe not, stopping on her face. Yes, exactly. Not not her going upstairs and taking the hat and not the train scene. I would have stopped it if I were directing this movie. I would have stopped it at that news story because yeah. that tells us everything we need to know. We don't need to know the rest because he knows what he did and that's all that matters, yeah. right? And now we're seeing that other people are going to start realizing it and we can imagine what yeah. they might realize. And then you could have done the – text i mean i think you had to do the text at the end i know it sucks but you kind of yeah have but to. you can you can but just fade to black put, and put yeah it you up could, on a black I, screen. that's what i think it should have been done on black or it could be done on a series of historical videos of people getting shot at the wall and things like that or that would be, or of the real um jim donovan yeah it's funny how uh, it's sad how uh steven spielberg hasn't had a good movie in a long time yeah i mean like he's he technically was very a good, good director and he's wonderful with kids like mm. when he's given the chance to direct kids he does a really good job well that's of it. the thing is that that little boy was so funny in that one scene and then i was like why isn't that coming back also it's kind of unsettling how every time tom hanks talks to his families he to his family he's like can i talk to my son okay well can i talk to one yeah, of yeah, the yeah. girls and even when he comes in he's like is the son okay and then he asks about the girls when he gets back from yeah, it's gross him, it's really disturbing and I do think I, – I think the, – the thing is I feel like Spielberg has become – like he was always traditional, mm. but I feel like he's become more set in his ways and he more was always racist, ma- sexist. He's, he was always mainstream, but now he's gone from mainstream to traditional and now – and traditional means racist and sexist and – He was always traditional. But, I mean, if you look at Jurassic Park, mm. which is the first thing that comes to mind just because I think we've been talking about a lot this year, you look at Jurassic Park and it's got Ellie Sattler's like – you know, a very much more capable woman than anything we've seen in a Spielberg movie in years. Mm. Um, and um, the older sister, I can't Samuel remember. L. Jackson has a role in that movie. Lexi is great. That's the older sister. Mm. Um, there's, I mean, people have complained at me online, by the way, guys, I do read that, that they were like, oh, the kids in that movie were so annoying. I have watched the movie again since that. They act like children. Sometimes children can be annoying, but they do act like real children. Yeah, yeah, they movie. were good. I thought they were good when I saw it, what, six months, three months ago, whenever whenever Jurassic World came out. But Jurassic Park is more forward-thinking than this movie, which I know is set before it. But come on, can't you have, like, one spy who's a woman? We've had female spies. Well, we had female spies in the late 50s and early 60s. Like, we had female spies before that, long yeah. before that. But. It's really. Why is everybody in I'm, this movie a man? It kind of annoys everybody me. who does anything. I don't think it's ever been done better than in an episode of Psych, where there's a production of Sherlock Holmes being staged, and um, it's not a production of Sherlock Holmes. It's about Jack the Ripper. Ah. It's the episode that um, it's the musical episode, and they're staging a musical, and it has Adam Rupp in it. He's the writer of the musical, and then they, they there's this whole thing about him being a Jamaican cop who's catching Jack the Ripper. Right, and he, he but he wants to be in it, and they're like, oh no, that wouldn't be historically accurate. It's 1880s London. He says, what black people weren't invented yet, and I've like I can't say it any clearer or more sensibly than that. Yeah, like it just. And there are people of color, by the way, in Russia at that time. Like, Russia is more racially diverse than anything we've ever seen, or most of the stuff we've seen on camera. Russia has... The American army, American pilots are more diverse than these yeah, four the kids, four, white, four white kids who get recruited And even the if they mission. were historically accurate, just put some people in the background. But, like, even, you know, there could be women in one scene, like a woman spy or a woman CIA agent. Woman lawyer. In the firm. Why couldn't there be? They're 
that was probably historically inaccurate. I think that firm wouldn't have them. Um, I think the firm was actually quite accurate and also kind of pointed in its accuracy almost. Right. Like the way deliberate. that the women were treated in that fil- firm seemed more deliberate than me than the, like uh, it felt like the firm was deliberate whereas the home was accidental and that was a bigger yeah. issue well, to like, me. Give the American kid's girlfriend a bit more agency. Like give other the than the American just- kid's girlfriend who, oh, you mean, do you mean the, the- German girl, who, the one who goes to Oh, right. I thought you scene. meant the daughter. No, no, no. Her one scene that is all in German that is not translated where she goes and begs to see him at the prison. And then we don't see her again. She seems like she has a bit of spunk, right? She's a university professor's daughter. She's keen to get out, but we have one scene and we never see her again. Surely she's doing more than just, like, sitting at home waiting. Spielberg just uses women in this movie. Women in this movie are objects, straight-up objectification. Women in this movie are only there to serve some kind of vague purpose to men of like, I want to get home or somebody cares about me and that's it. They, yeah, they serve needs. They bring coffee. They hold coats. They facilitate discussions between important men. And it's really unpleasant to see now. I mean, this movie doesn't just not pass the Bestel test. This movie, oh, Bestel Wallace test. This movie like bypasses it completely. It doesn't no. care whether or not. And there are women in you, it. There, it doesn't care whether or not there are people it, of color in it. They'll say historical accuracy, which is complete bullshit, because as we just discussed. I, I swear, even in historical accuracy, if you looked at a crowd of people, like there's a scene really early on in the movie where they they're in a train station and there's some CIA agents who are chasing after Mark Rylance's character, mm-hmm. and they're pushing through people in a crowd, and the people in the crowd. I'm fairly certain adhere to that 33% female. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's almost all men. It's, it's so male dominated. It's all men in hats, white men in hats and suits. And you're like, this can't be realistic. This is New this York. Is awful. Like 60 years ago. New York is a really diverse place and it has been since it was founded 400 years ago. And they didn't, ago. they, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain from 12 years of slave, I remember that they didn't have slavery there. In the North, no. So, even then, like the the uh, integration wouldn't have been well, an this issue. This is a city that has. This like, isn't slavery, but but like years later, the integration right. Well, wouldn't yeah, there have was, been but, as much I mean, of an yeah, issue, New York right? Was always diverse. Like New York always had like black boroughs, like Harlem, and working class and right. Jewish boroughs, like like yeah. Brooklyn that's the whole and, thing about Fantastic like, Beasts. New, New York no is black people. is like that. Yeah, it is. It's it's so it's not natural at all and it feels very very irritating and unnatural and and i i just i yeah, couldn't like it would have been if it were made in the 60s it might have been past muster if it were made in the 60s they might have even thrown in a black character for just like for, like it's not cool and spielberg is for me he's one of the best visual storytellers we've ever had like to take the medium of film and to be able to do with it what he's done with it is so amazing. He needs to pick up his game now. Well, he I needs mean, to get with the like this the era. modern times well, I, I and guess... make a movie that fits with our times that has his uh his visual stamp on it because he does he can do it so well and I miss that. I miss Spielberg movies. I miss how well he did it. Because like we watched Jurassic World this year and you know I hated that movie. But it, it Jurassic World is offensive because it tries to do what Spielberg does naturally 
in his own kind of ability to tell this visual story. And it tries to do that and it fails so badly on so many levels. Now we've watched this Spielberg movie that can do all those visual things that Spielberg does without thinking of it, but it can't tell a coherent story that is engaging the entire time and that feels like a real story with real people in it. Hmm. I also think it's sad that Spielberg is a Jewish kid from, like, no background at all. You would think that someone with his background would have more sensitivity to the idea of outsiders, to the idea of people of colour. But he used to. Yeah, and he just – well, what's happened? Like, has he become so gentrified that he's now – he just lives in his white man suburb world? I feel like it's just not as good – as he deserves or to make mm. and like it is really sad to see him not doing well like to make to see spielberg make a movie like this that feels like yeah it just doesn't feel um good and then they have the coen brothers come in and this movie just doesn't feel like it's uh put together right yeah. it's sad i really want spielberg to make a movie that i really love that has more interesting stuff in it than this yeah he, he should pull a george miller yeah we know he's got it in him mm. um grade i'm gonna say two and a half stars i feel like it's too nicely put together to not get that yeah. but at the same time it's not very good i'm giving it the same <laughs> two and a half because i nearly nearly went for three i would have gone for three about two-thirds of the way through this but it just went on too long and i got bored i nearly went for two but then <laughs> i was like no there were bits where i was genuinely in- invested and laughing and and really into it I especially i laughed a lot during the uh the able scenes um, I laughed a lot during the whole movie, much more than I expected to, mm. and I actually, oddly, found the movie better than I thought I was going to find it based on the trailers. Fair enough. Anyway, I should wrap up, I suppose. We've been talking about this for a while. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to read our show notes, you can find them on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Facebook. Just search for Silver Screen Queens. We're on Twitter. At screen underscore queens. I'll going. put I'll put Jimmy Fallon's little video yes, in the show notes. Please too, find that for it's, me. It's, be- it's so funny. Yeah, at screen underscore queens on Twitter and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com for our Tumblr. Now, also, if you are in Canberra, we are hosting a screening of Star Wars: The Force Awakens on the eighteenth of December. We'll be uh, we haven't quite organised everything yet, but we'll put details on our website soon and we would very much like people to come along. We are going to do a live episode after the screening and it would be really fun to have some fellow nerds come along and hang out with us. And, oh, right, the iTunes thing. Right, so if you uh, would like us to review any movie that you like, please rate and review us on iTunes and then suggest the movie and we will do an episode about it. We've just done an episode about three of the movies. And also, when you do give us one, it might be good to check if we haven't already done the movie yet. Uh, Somebody suggested that we watch Only Lovers Left Alive and we very much watched that already. Yeah, that's one of Um, our our most popular episodes. So, um, yeah, if you uh, would like us to review a movie that you like, just uh, rate and review us on iTunes and we will review your movie right back. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.